Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. <laughs> I'm Ryan. And I'm Brian. And this is the Bible, Bible Bistro. On the road. Yeah. In, in Champagne, Champagne, Illinois. I didn't know if you were going to say Champana. Champ- Champana. Champana. Yeah. Champagne. Champagne, we're in Champagne right now. Yes. In an Airbnb. So. Yeah. Because we, we. Bistro we, on the road. Bistro on the road because, well, we recorded something yesterday. Again, yeah. it's the magic of the podcast. <laughs> what was then will then be future tense and so forth. Right. Um, we will have an- another guest. We just had a, we had a guest yeah. last week. We had Dr. Jody Owens, yeah. which was fantastic. Really great. Really great stuff. Yeah, so. and he's got. If you like that episode, just a reminder again, he's got a learning retreat coming yeah, up. If you want to find out more about that, you can go back to you can go to our Facebook page and find the link for that, right. or you can go to our show notes absolutely um, and get that link as well. But we also recorded with uh, our next guest, yeah. who is also a returning guest, yeah. four time returning, <laughs> four time returning, uh, Doctor John Weatherly. Yeah, and so he's gonna when he's on here soon after now that we recorded in the past um he's going to be talking to us a little bit more about the the olivet discourse yeah, in luke. luke 21 it's 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 one of those passages that have to do with uh the end times issues and so yeah it's a real it was really good really helpful yeah, really, I thought, great so. and so um and we're also going to be recording tomorrow not for this podcast but we've been asked to be on a, a radio show again and so yes. we're going to be doing that so but it will already be out by the time you hear this Time is what is time <laughs> linear. That's what it is. And we are messing we'll with it. We'll share that link though. Yeah, on we'll our share Facebook that link page, as well. So make sure um, for yeah, that. We're, we're being interviewed for something there. But uh, we're today in this Airbnb. Yeah. We are we are continuing our series that we have started. Inconceivable. Inconceivable. Yeah. That word. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. I did see and I saw another I saw someone else use that line on Twitter the other day. No way. Yeah. I did. It's a great movie. I mean, The Princess Bride. When, when are we going to do our review of The Princess Bride? <laughs> Sounds like something we do. 40-year-old movie. <laughs> let's, let's review it. <laughs> yes. Let's do it. But we All are right. continu- continuing Inconceivable. We started yeah. with, we did one about faith. faith and yeah. it was kind of roughly based... And what started the conversation was I'd read a book yeah. about it. And we had a, a good conversation about faith and or faithfulness what that means, and faithfulness, what that means. Trust. And yep. then we went to Yahweh. Yahweh, yeah. not is Jehovah. <laughs> don't you don't say that. Don't be saying that. Don't be saying that. And if you think maybe I sh- it's okay for me to say, it. go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> uh, and why why Jehovah is not right. But anyway, it that's wasn't just the main. It, that's that not that the main about, point yeah. of that episode. Uh, but we're continuing. Uh, in this series of kind of looking at some words that are in scripture right. or, and not that the words themselves right. are bad. Do but we maybe know what how they we, mean? How, do we, we know what mean and how? Yeah. yeah. And, and so here's the word, and this is, you know, everybody's going to go, oh, I know what that word means. It's the word Christ. Isn't and, that just Jesus's last name? Well, th- that's what I was going to say. It's not Jesus's <laughs> last name and his middle initials, not H. So, but uh, <laughs> we've talked about this a little bit. And so again, this is just kind of pulling this out and, um, you know, trying to to think through what it means that this word uh, is there, and and here's the real issue: it is Christ is a central word for us, right? Mm-hmm. We we call ourselves Christian. That's that's a name that we use, right? Right. Um, here was the real thing when I when I talk about this a lot. I, I talk about when we confess Christ, 
right? That's one of the right. things that we do. Uh, most of us, when we came to Christ, when we became followers of Jesus, we made a confession of some sort in, in public. Sometimes it's different ones, but do, do you remember that? What did What did you say when you, when you? I believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Jesus s- is the Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And the Son of the, the living, son God, of right? son of living God, right? And so that idea of Jesus is the Christ. What do we mean when we say this? Um, so look at John chapter one, first of all, verses forty and forty one. I think you're going to read this out of the ESV for us. And I'll tell you in a minute why there's the NIV does something really funny here. The new NIV. And we'll we'll talk about that. This is the ESV, right? Yep. ESV. This is John 40 through 41. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah in the parentheses, which means Christ. Okay. And this is something that John does pretty regularly is he will take a Hebrew word or an Aramaic word, and then he will trans translate it. He transliterates it into Greek and then he'll translate it. And that's what we have there with this word. So the word Christ and Messiah uh, are synonymous, but one of them is Greek. The word Christ comes from the Greek. The word Messiah comes from the Hebrew, from the the Old Testament. And, And both of those words mean the same thing. Uh, so again, in <laughs> it's kind of like our time in the, in the podcast. It gets a little tricky. You know, we translated into English, uh, but when we go back, it was translated from Hebrew into Greek. And so, mm-hmm. so John here uses word uh, the Messiah. We have found the Messiah, and that is to say, in Greek, the Christ. Right. Right. So both of these words have have been borrowed though, is the problem. So let me tell you, the Greek word that we translate as Christ typically is the word Christos. I mean, it's, it's just basically we've taken that word from Greek and we've transliterated it into English letters and pronounce okay. it Christ. So Christos, Christ. So that's not really translating. I'm just a call back to another episode. This is like baptism as yes, well. Yes, like exactly. Baptisto, baptized. That, it's just taking the letters mm-hmm. in the Greek and transliterating them. That's why we call it transliterating. It's the letters, right? We're yeah. just taking the letters and changing them into English letters. So I would say that gets us into trouble. When we right. do that. I'll yeah. tell you, there's another word we do did that with in in uh, in the New Testament is the word deacon uh, is okay. again diakonos is the is the Greek word we've just taken and transliterated rather than translating it you know, here what is the meaning what is the meaning here we're going right. to put it into English we just take the the letters so Christ in, in Greek is Christos in Hebrew and this is a little bit harder to explain I wish this is one of those I wish I had a whiteboard to write this all up. You know, maybe by your magic, you could bring this up. It's, it's literally magic. <laughs> I'm basically a wizard. Go ahead. A video wizard. A video wizard. Uh, but the Hebrew word Messiah, it, it, it really would be pronounced in Hebrew Mashiach. Okay. And it's very similar. Mm-hmm. You can hear the ma is the same. And, and then the, 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 the S word and the SH letter in, in Hebrew is almost identical. So mush, mush or miss. Okay. Uh-huh. But then the last one is a little bit hard to, harder to understand because it's Mashiach. And, and we would, you know, if you were to spell that in English, you'd usually use probably a CK or something like that. But there is a letter in the Hebrew alphabet that, that is chet. <laughs> it's Say that again. Chet. Okay. So you've got hey, which is like our H sound. Mm-hmm. And then you have a letter that's very similar to it. That is a hard H. We just don't have a hard H in, in English. We don't mm-hmm. typically do that. Um, some other dialects, Scots dialect uh, of English uses it like when they say lach. It has that kind of quality to it. Okay. But chet is a hard 
H sound. So that's why we transliterate it as an H, but really, if you're going to pronounce it in Hebrew, it's Mashiach. So Messiah and Mashiach Shiach are really the okay. same same words. But we've we've said. <laughs> We Sorry. can't say anything. We're all messed up. You, I know. You have no idea how, you know, that you're like, well, what, what are you talking about? But anyway, Messiah, we've just taken those letters, right? Okay. Now, what do those words mean? What do they really mean? And I'm going to tell you, uh, we, we've talked about this before. I'm going to tell you just the base meaning, but then I'm also going to talk about the significance, why that's important. The base meaning of both of those words means the anointed one. Okay. The anointed one. Uh, so in Greek, I'll give you an example. Chrisma is the word for anointing uh, and anointing. And then the word Christos is the one who has been anointed or the, the anointed one, just to put it simply. And it's the same with the word Messiah or Mashiach. Again, more, more accurately in the Old Testament, it means the one who has been anointed. So this is really an important thing in all of the Gospels, all four of the Gospels. Now, John does it a little bit different as he normally does. Of course. Here you have, here you have early on in the Gospel of John, you have Andrew recognizing who Jesus is, and he goes and gets his brother, um, uh, Simon, who we call Peter typically because Jesus gives him this name, actually in connection, according to Matthew at least, with this this thing we're getting, getting ready to talk about. And, and he tells him, I think we have found the Messiah. The anointed okay. one. The anointed one. I think we have found this anointed one. So where does that come from? Look at Matthew chapter 6, the way that, and this is kind of just one example of how this happens in the synoptic gospels as well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, I'm preaching through, I almost used Mark, but I wanted to use Matthew for a different reason here for just a minute. But in Mark, Mark chapter 8 is the story we're going to read Matthew. And it's interesting because it's the very high point of that gospel. You have eight chapters before and eight chapters after. And right in the middle of Mark, you've got this uh, this story of Jesus asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? am. Okay, mm-hmm. so go ahead and read that for us in Matthew chapter 16, just verses 13 through 20 or so. All right, and here's the ESV. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail, shall not prevail against so it. So let's stop there for just a minute. And so, so what we have here is that that thing you said you said at one point. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Peter makes this confession here, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus says to his disciples, "Who do you think I am?" And they say, well, you know, here's a word on the street. Or, you know, who do people say that I am is the first thing he says. But here's a word on the streets. One of the prophets, maybe Jeremiah, Elijah, you know, these different ideas. Probably Elijah because of the things that he was doing. Elijah right. was connected with miracles and this kind of thing. Jeremiah maybe because of his message, because of the things that he was teaching. And he said, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter is the one who speaks up first. Now, often we talk about him getting in trouble. Peter up. has some problems. But, but he speaks up first here, and he's the one who gets the credit then. Um, the A plus in the class for this day by saying, I believe that you are the Christ. Okay. And again, he probably was speaking Aramaic when he said this. He probably said, I believe that you are the Mashiach. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and Jesus affirms this. 
blessed are you, uh, Simon, son of John, Simon Bar-Jonas, because this has not been revealed to you by men, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, God has shown you that that I am fulfilling this role. So one of the things we need to understand when we talk about Christ is Christ really is a title. You said it's not Jesus' last name. It's not a proper name like Jesus or or Yeshua, we would say. Uh, It's not a proper name like Simon. It's a title. And it talks about who he is and the role that he fills. So what I want to really talk about in today's episode is what's the Old Testament background for this title that that would allow someone like Peter to say, when Jesus asked him, who do you think I am? Well, I believe that you are the, the Messiah, right? The, the, the Christ, the, the Messiah, the, the, right? Mashiach. Mashiach. Yeah. I'll teach you a little Hebrew here. So. Hey. <laughs> So let's look at uh, the Old Testament background, and there's a couple places, and, and it, the word occurs earlier than this, but I want to start in 1 Samuel, uh, because this is one of the, the important, uh, I, I think, uh, background uh, pieces that we have to this. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10, and this is Samuel uh, anointing the first uh, king of Israel whose name was Saul, Shaul uh, in Hebrew. His name is Saul. He was tall. Tall Saul. Yeah, he was a tall guy. Yeah. <laughs> Random facts. <laughs> I'm spitting him. So, so Samuel anoints him. And, and we have this described here in verse 1 uh, of 1 Samuel chapter 10. So this is 1 Samuel chapter 10, uh, verse 1. It says, Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil, and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, has not the Lord, or we actually learned from this last uh, uh, episode, Yahweh, has not Yahweh anointed you ruler over his inheritance? So the act of anointing, uh, and this is the verb here in this case, is uh, Meshach, uh, or Meshach, I guess. Uh, this act of anointing is is literally pouring oil over his head. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's that's what's done, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. But the reason that it's done, the the anointing is an idea of setting this person apart for a special task. Okay, so he's saying you're going to be anointed, and and he goes on and says, "What are you going to be anointed as? You're going to be anointed king." Okay, mm-hmm. so so it's pouring literally pouring olive oil over his head in a ceremonial way in order to set him apart for this purpose of ruling the people of Israel. Now, anointing is something that can happen. We see in this, this in the Old Testament. Like I said, there's earlier examples of anointing. Anointing can be done either to people, like we see here with Saul, or it can be done to things. The first time we see this word really used in the Old Testament is in Exodus in the building of the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, Moses is given very specific instructions about how this place of worship, this portable place of worship is to be built, one of the things he says is make up, and he actually tells there's a very special oil that needs to be made to do and don't this. don't make it any other time. Don't just, you shouldn't use this for any other purpose than mm-hmm. this. It was, a, it was a sacred thing, a set apart thing. And, and he says, you need to take this and you need to anoint the tabernacle with it. You need to anoint all of the furniture 
in the tabernacle. All of the oh, the dishes and the what, what's the word I'm looking for here? All the the implements that were used in worship, the tools, utensils. All the utensils, all the tools were to be anointed. And, and so here's the idea: is they're set apart for a special purpose. This isn't to, you know the tabernacle isn't something you can just use for any purpose you want. Right. It has a very special purpose, and that purpose is uh, to be the place of worship, the place of sacrifice where one could draw near to to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, there are things that can be anointed. Now, here's the interesting thing I think we'll see. Oh, I forgot I was going to do something else. I, I messed up. Um, so we, we find, um, we find uh, Saul being anointed. I mentioned that was the verb. Mm-hmm. Look down in chapter 12 before we get too much farther. Okay. This is 1 Samuel chapter 12 uh, and verse 3 I'm going to read the first three verses, I guess. Samuel said to all of Israel, I've listened to everything you've said to me. I've set a king over you. So that's Saul still at this point. Mm -hmm. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I'm old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I've been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of Yahweh and his anointed. Anointed. Literally in Hebrew, if you read this in Hebrew, it literally says Yahweh or Adonai, right? We've talked about that. And his Mashiach, his Messiah. That's what that word says there. So that's the noun form. Okay. Okay, We have the verb, which means to anoint. But then there are people who are called, and it's not just one. And and this is Saul. That's referenced as Mashiach. There are different people. And that kind of messes people up sometimes. All it means, all the word Mashiach, and we'll get to this. It, Mm -hmm. it, It takes on a different connotation later on. But at this point, all it means is the one who's been anointed. And again, it's not just talking about, oh, you had oil poured over your head. But really, you have been set apart to this special purpose. You were set apart to be the king of Israel, right? The tabernacle was set apart to be the special place of worship. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the furniture in the temple was set apart for a special purpose. Now, I, I went back and mentioned that because then in Exodus chapter 30, uh, we have a reference to another person who is anointed in a special way. This is Exodus chapter 30 uh, in verse 30. And, and this is right, Exodus is right in the middle of all this tabernacle stuff mm-hmm. being anointed. It says also anoint Aaron, anoint, there's that word, the, the verb, anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them. So what does the word consecrate? It's set them apart. Set apart. Mm-hmm. Consecrate them so they may serve me as priest. So it, it's always interesting. The priest is almost... Um, treated uh, in these passages like a part of the whole tabernacle, right? Right. (laughs) Part of the furnishing here. But but Aaron and his sons are to be set apart as priests. They have this special role. So there are lots of different people who are set apart in this way, individuals, but the roles of priest and king are two that are that are anointed. Whenever you talk about the Lord's anointed one, it's these two. Uh, Later in Zechariah, in fact, he talks about the Lord's two anointeds. This is uh, when he's talking about uh, the rebuilding of the temple in Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah. And he talks about the, the two of the Lord's Mashiach or the Messiahs uh, are the priest and the king at hmm. the time. Right. Right. And, and so that's the, that's, that's the thing we've got going on here in this. Now that's the background for, for this word. But then there's a thing that happens, and this is in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 11b through 16. 2 Samuel chapter 7, 11b through 16. And here's one of your weird um, podcast time warp 
deals yes. is uh, we've heard in, in our interview with John Weatherly, we've heard him talk about this uh, this passage and the importance yes. of it, uh, which you, you will hear in a later You will hear episode. in the future that we recorded in the past. In your future, in our, well, I don't know, our past, yeah. We're, yeah. Time, we're time travel. We're basically time travelers. We are essentially, yeah, we have essentially cool. cracked the code. <laughs> so, Second Samuel chapter seven, eleven B through sixteen. This is this is a, a, a hugely important prophecy. We don't think about it a lot, but but basically, so Saul was the first king of Israel set apart, but you'll remember that what happened is Saul failed to live up to the expectations that God had for him. He was he had a checkered, checkered <laughs> life. And so he was um, removed as king, and then David was mm-hmm. made king, and then David becomes a model in a sense for king. Now, let's, let's be frank. David also had checkeredness. David... <laughs> And him. David was not not without his problems, but in terms of his uh, uh, seeking after God, he, you know the scriptures use this term. He was a man after God's own heart, seeking God's will and, and, and attempting to lead in the way that God, obeying His uh, direction, especially early in his life. Mm-hmm. David David did this, and so God appointed him king over Israel, and so Samuel took. Just like he did with Saul, it took the oil, he anointed him and says, you are now the Lord's Christ. In fact, you might remember that story. I almost looked at it. I'll just briefly mention it with Jesse. Uh, you remember God said, you need to go to this guy's, Jesse's house because the next king of Israel is coming from his his line. And, and so they uh, they bring out, I believe Abijah, Abijah, we would say, is was the first one that was brought out. Is that is that right? I the or oldest of I, David's. I, yeah. I don't, you shouldn't ask me. I know this is off the top of my head, but... Uh, Abijah was brought out and he looked at him. Is that the right? Something, uh, something, uh, we'll look it up later. Um, but he looks, saw, Samuel looks at him and he's tall and he's good looking. He says, this has to be, here's what he says. This must be the Lord's Mashiach. This must be the Lord's anointed standing here in front of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, you know, it wasn't him. It was the last of the sons, David, the youngest. Again, God kind of overturning people's expectations about what leaders look like. Uh, here's David, who is ultimately anointed. Samuel takes this special olive oil, you know, drizzles it over David's head. Yes. And and this in this way sets him apart as king of Israel. Okay, so David becomes this model then for the king of Israel. And here's what happens in Second Samuel chapter 7, 11b through 16. It says, uh, so So David is basically said to God, I want to build, well, through, through Nathan the prophet, he says, I want to build a temple. And God says, you're not going to be the one to build me a temple. Your, your son will, but you're not going to build me a temple. Instead, I'm going to build a house for you. And by this, what he means is I'm going to build a, a, a line of people, line of kings who's going to come from you, David, because you've been faithful in these things. So it says here, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. He said, this is God speaking through Nathan to David. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. Excuse me. 
and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod of wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And then verse 16 says this, and this is the introduction of this concept. Your house, David, this is God speaking. I answered that David there, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So this is a promise <clears throat> that one of David's descendants. Now there's a couple things going on. Uh, the first is that David's descendants are always going to be on the throne of Israel. Right. That's the promise. Uh, and, and the, 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 Fuller explanation to this is you're going to have a son. You're going to have an offspring, the son of David. We mm -hmm. we would say that's where that phrase comes from. Who is going to establish an eternal kingdom? Uh, God's kingdom is going to be established an ev as an everlasting kingdom that will mm -hmm. never end. So, comments on that or questions? Any thoughts? Yeah, on that? I, I I like the, uh, the well. Just pointing out those things like yeah. the, the the Messiah, the, this this title that gets applied earlier, right? Um, and how, yeah, even to to Saul, you know, what I mean, like yeah. this anointed one, and then we see this transition sure. into um, David, and to, then, to David, yeah. and so forth. So, yeah, yeah I think it's. I, yeah. I don't know if there's I have a comment or question, but it's just kind of like something to like. Okay, okay, this is it, it's. Good to register those connections. Let me let me then quickly talk about the history that happens here, because you might remember David's son Solomon does build uh, the temple. Right. Uh, you'll remember that Solomon's son Rehoboam then takes the throne. And he, again, a descendant of David, mm -hmm. and and he uh, essentially by his actions splits the kingdom. The kingdom ends up, ends up split between uh, uh, Rehoboam in the south and, and Jeroboam, and so. David's throne, Jerusalem and, and the temple and, and all this becomes a part of what we then call Judah. Mm -hmm. Which is where we get Jews from, the name Jews. The, the name Jew from a, a later period of time. Yeah. But Judah, uh, Judea in, in the New Testament period. Judah is this, we call it the southern kingdom sometimes. This is where David's descendants continue to rule on the throne almost without exception. There's one brief period during the time of Ahab uh, and, and Jezebel when one of their descendants goes down and, and takes over. But, but generally speaking, David's descendants are on the throne of Judah from that point on until Babylonian exile. the Babylonian destruction. Okay. Now, here's where we find a very important shift in this in this title, Christ, or, or you know, the Old Testament term, Mashiach or Messiah, the Anointed One, because God promised, right? God promised, David, you're always going to have a person on my uh, on the throne, and always. I'm, I'm going to establish an eternal kingdom through you. So after the after the temple's destroyed, after the palace is destroyed, there is no throne of David anymore. Mm -hmm. People continue to hold on to that promise. Second uh, Samuel chapter seven. So I, I, there's lots of examples I could give you, but but one of these I'm going to look at is just Psalm 132. Uh, we could look at Psalm 87. That's another one of my favorite ones. But Psalm 132, verses 10 through 12. I want you to listen to this. <clears throat> this is what this psalm says: For the sake of your servant David, do not reject your anointed, anointed one. Which me, which, which so the Hebrew word. If you look at the Hebrew word in Psalm 132:10, it's Mashiach. 
Okay, so let's let's insert the word Messiah here. For okay. the sake of your servant David, do not reject your Messiah. Okay. So this, and I'll go ahead and read verses 11, 12. Yahweh swore on oath to David, a sure oath he will not revoke. One of your descendants I will place on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them, then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. So they're going back to that promise of 2 Samuel chapter 7, 11b through 16. In the later part of the Old Testament, in the Psalms, and we see it, even though the word is not always used, not always, sometimes, uh, not always used in the uh, in the books of Isaiah, let's say, and Jeremiah and Daniel, the the promise we call them messianic prophecies, right? Anointed one prophecies, right? Looking forward to not just any anointed one, but the one who will be on the throne of David again. Because God promised that, right? Right. So when people begin to look for the coming of the Messiah, they're thinking the one that God promised. I mean, God God's keeps his promises, right? right? Yeah. God promised us that David was going to have a man on the throne forever, one of his descendants, one of his sons. So like I said, son of David, Messiah, this becomes the expectation that we're looking for this one who's going to be uh, on the throne, on an eternal throne, on, on the, the, over, over God's kingdom forever. So that's just, that's one place we can see. We see it other places as well. Mm-hmm. It becomes a way to refer Messiah, Mashiach, becomes a way to refer to this awaited ruler, uh, one who's set apart, right, for the special purpose of, again, ruling God's people. Even though, you know, it's, and it's during that period of exile, during that period when things are not going the way uh, that, that, that the expectation is. Uh, when they return from exile, in fact, it's important that we have a descendant of David. You know, that, that's who they want to be the ruler. But really, it takes on the connotation of some kind of special future ruler who's going to really do this thing. Uh, later, of course, the Romans come in. And it's a different kind of a situation than than Babylon, because the people are still in the land. But and there's been a lot of writing on this. There's a still a way when the Romans are in charge that they kind of feel like they're in exile, right? Uh, because they're not in charge. In fact, who's the king when Jesus is born? Is Herod is descendant of David? Yes or no? <laughs> Pop quiz. No, <laughs> because he's a, he's an he's a, an Edomite. Really, he's yeah. not even he's not even a descendant of Jacob. Uh, he's a descendant of Esau, and, and so uh, yeah, he's not a son of David. And so here's a king on the throne, right now. Think about that. This this is the background of the Old Testament or the New Testament, I should say. This is the background that we come we we come into. Is there's a king on the throne that is not considered to be a legitimate. Um, person, and, and so it's not from the line of David. And so, so there's and not not everybody. There were some people who aligned themselves with Herod. We could talk about that a different day, maybe. But but many many people in Judah in this period of time were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for a descendant of David who's going to come and truly rule on the throne. It's in that context, and that Peter says to Jesus, "I believe." That you are the anointed one. Okay, you see what he's saying. Yeah, then? Yeah. I think that you're the one who's going to rule over this throne, or you know, take you, this. You are throne. the fulfillment of this of this prophecy from the beginning. Let's look at a few more places in the New Testament. Matthew one one is one example of this. Uh, do you have that? Go ahead and yeah. read that for us. Uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus 
Christ, right? The Jesus Messiah. The, uh-huh. the anointed one. And so Matthew begins in this way. And again, Matthew 16, we have Peter uh, uh, recognizing this. I was going to say, we're using the ESV. Having you read from the New Testament, the ESV today, the, the NIV, the newest version of the NIV, which came out in 2011, does a weird thing, I think, because they take the Greek word Christos and they translate it as Messiah. <laughs> Now, I understand what they're trying to do, mm-hmm. right? But again, it's just taking a, a, a borrowed word from one language. And, just replacing and, it with another borrowed word. And so so it's kind of like, you know, again, I and again, even, even I'm not saying there's a good translation here. Even if we said the anointed one instead of Christ, that wouldn't necessarily carry with it all the connotations. That We really have to mm-hmm. go back and look in the Old Testament to see what, what anointing meant and, and this this specific anointing yeah yeah i mean and it's so is there something with like this connection with with christ and and i'm gonna we see this as the anointed one so previously it was Mm -hmm. the anointed one like it was just (laughs) lowercase th now it had it had special if if we went back if we had more time i would go back and look at this do you remember when saul was was already rejected by god yes and and david was on the run because Mm -hmm. because saul was jealous of him and all this kind of stuff there's an opportunity for example one time that david could have killed saul and he refuses to do so you remember, he basically Saul was going to the bathroom yeah, in the and cave, kind of, and David was hiding in the cave. He yeah. even felt guilty, cut off a corner of his garment, felt guilty for that. But he says, I will not lift my hand against the Lord's Messiah. That's what he says. I will not land, raise my hand against the Lord's anointed one. So even there, there's a special, if this person's been set apart by God for this purpose, then who am I to be the one who, who removes them? And so, so it had a special, you know, the 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 idea of Christos, or again, the idea of the, the Old Testament Mashiach, had a special connotation even then. But yeah, now we're talking about this future expectation of somebody that God's going to raise up and set apart for this purpose. Hmm. So, look at here. This I think this would make it even clearer than the Matthew one passage. Look at Luke chapter two, uh, twenty five through thirty two here. This is in the birth narrative of Jesus. Uh, Jesus had been born, and now his, his parents are bringing him to the temple in order to, because uh, he's the firstborn of Mary's womb, offer uh, the the required offering for him and have him circumcised. And, and here's what it says in verse 25 and following. I'll let you yeah, read that. And through 25 through 32? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Okay, there we are. Anointed one. So, but you see now, it's, it's, there's this one that's coming. He's not here yet. And I will not die until I see. The Holy Spirit's told me I will not die, Simeon says, until I see the Lord's anointed one. Anointed one. The, 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 and in this case, the special ruler, son of David, who's going to come. Now, here's what happens. This is a really cool, really cool yeah. scene. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. And, Simeon. Yeah. Simeon. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So he's saying, this is the one that has been promised, this Jesus, the spirit 
reveals this to Simeon when Jesus is eight days old. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty amazing kind of thing. Um, look in Acts chapter two, and then, and, and really, this is the last passage I'm going to look at. I know we've looked at quite a few passages. Uh, look at two thirty six here. This is the high point of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, really, and and the one that kind of causes the people to to really realize where they are. But li- again, thinking now about what we've talked about, listen to the way that that this is said. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Okay. So Jesus is Christ, right? Is the Messiah. He's the, he's the one that you have been looking forward to and you crucified him. Mm-hmm. Whoops. Uh, but uh, you see that, that, that expectation, that awaiting. What, what's the, the separation there of Lord and Christ? You know what well, I mean? Like, yeah. cause so like for Lord, I'm thinking King reigning over you. And then we have, you know, Christ, which was ruler Saul was mm-hmm. anointed. One was King, you know? So yeah. like what, what's, what's the differentiation that you see there, Lord and Christ? Well, I think, I think Christ is really the anointed ruler. Lord, as we've seen, could, could even have a divine aspect to it. Uh, there's a, a pretty significant work written. Um, Larry Hurtado wrote a book called Lord Jesus Christ, which is Paul's favorite term for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of combines all of this kind of stuff. And it has, uh, you know, divine connotations in it, I think. Um, but that's where I was going to then with this. In, in Paul then, and, and the later, we, we find different uh, combinations of Jesus' name, so Jesus' proper name, right, is Jesus, is Yeshua, right, Jesus, yeah. and then we have the title Christ. So sometimes Paul will talk about Jesus Christ. You know, many, many of uh, uh, you know the, the the we're followers of Jesus Christ, or we see Lord. Uh, Jesus Christ sometimes with these two titles, Lord and Christ, put together, or sometimes we see Paul and other New Testament letter writers using the term Christ Jesus. And that's really kind of putting the title first. Like we, um, you know, Scott McKnight, we've talked about some, uh, we'll say King Jesus, right? This, and not, the only thing I'd say about King is it's not just King, but this promised ruler, this promised mm-hmm. King who's going to rule over an eternal kingdom, right? right. That, that one. <laughs> right. A very, a very special right. So, one. So maybe the Lord is more of a, the divine, so like when we say Lord Jesus Christ, or that's said, it's, yeah. you know, maybe the Lord is the, the divinity part of it and the, 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 the I, I don't. I'm simplifying this. Sure, much, no, no, but no, no, like that's fine. Christ is is the anointed one. Like it's in the line of David. Like this is the sure. fulfillment, the fulfillment of, the... of this prophetic. But of course, it's the same. It's the same one. And and Messiah begins to take on these these ideas in Daniel. I would say even you you've got this kind of uh, a melding of these ideas of the one who's going to come and rule over, who's going to be sovereign over the kingdom of God, uh, is is this uh, and Jesus uses this different title son of man uh, mm-hmm. that, that's going to have this this um he's going to carry with him all of the authority that god has uh, right. and, and that's that's what we see jesus claiming for himself as well so i know you're going to ask me so what so he, here's <laughs> yeah the, I am. here's the reason this is important i think i mean this is every every group 
every religious group, and, and I don't think Christianity is just a religion. I'll, I'll go ahead and say that. Maybe we'll talk about that some other time. But, but any religious group has kind of a statement of faith that is central to who they are. Uh, I've mentioned before Jewish people, it's the Shema, hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, uh, or Yahweh our God, is our God, Yahweh is one, we could say. Um, you know, you might have a central statement of faith of, uh, uh, you know, Islam would be something like um, uh, uh, Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet, something along those lines. For Christianity is, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, <laughs> Mm -hmm. And here's the issue. This is the central statement of our faith. And that's why I think it's so important we understand not just what the word Christ means, but the significance of it. So I guess I would ask you to help me work through this. When we affirm that today, what are we saying? Like in our culture, in our context, when we say we believe that Jesus is none other than that one who is promised to be ruler of God's eternal kingdom uh, in the flesh, you know, that that's who we believe he is. What, what does that mean for our lives then? Would you say, how would you? Uh, I think it's submission. Yeah, I, I mean, okay. I think, I, I think um, acknowledgement that he is Christ. I think it means sub submission and acknowledgement that he is the fulfillment of the rest of scripture. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there's that part, uh, that he is ruling over this eternal kingdom, I think, means that we become people who are kingdom people, we could say, that live for the kingdom of God, that promote and, uh, how do I say this, um, uh, advance the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. uh, that's an important part of it, I think, that that we're acknowledging that he is. So that's, that's you know, the Scott McKnight, he is our king. And now, what, does that, what does that mean when we say he is a king? Yeah, and that's that's the real thing. And and we live in a, in a funny context, the one that you and I live in, uh, because we don't think much of kings, really. <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of we're the, independent. We well, fought the, them. The I was going to say the foundation of our country was kind of like, you know, we're not going to listen to kings, right? Right. But here, and and I'm going to say that this in some ways doesn't put us in too much of a different situation, uh, although we're, we, we're allowed to say that. But you go back and look at Peter. Okay, there was a king on the throne mm -hmm. at that period of time. And for Peter to affirm, I believe that Jesus is the king, right, is the anointed one, uh, puts him in a direct opposition with the the political leadership of his day, uh, and, and uh, you know that's that's a dangerous it's position. A and I think that throughout history, there have been times where the kingdom of God, you know, to affirm that I I am a subject of the kingdom of God, puts me at odds with the kingdom of this world. Well, I I don't know if I'd say at times. I think it's always it's always, always yeah. done that. But there have been historical settings and nation settings in which that has become more to the fore than others. Now, you know, if we look at, at European history, there comes a point where those two almost become melded, uh, where the church is the one who affirms and, and is necessary for them to say, this is the king. You know, the church is the one, that, you know, they become the king maker in a sense. Right. Uh, and so there's a joining together of those uh, secular, I guess, for lack of a better term, and uh, and sacred powers in, in an individual. But here's what I would say in our context when we affirm that Jesus is the Christ. I think that has to be our primary identity. You know that we we affirm His kingdom 
uh, and we affirm ourselves as followers of him before we are followers of any other group or, or anything else, that, that that has to be primary and, and that we believe ultimately uh, that, that God's kingdom is, is the, uh, is, is moving toward the, well, Simeon called it salvation, right? Mm-hmm. I, I might use the term that we find in Peter using in Acts 4, the, the, the restoration of all things, uh, of God's plan to, to put the universe back into order. Um, and, and that's what God's kingdom means. So I'm not looking, uh, before I look to any political power or any military power uh, or any economic power, whatever else you want to say, I'm going to look first uh, to to the kingdom of God, and I'm going to become, a, you said submission, I'm going to become a subject there first. It's very, very difficult uh, to pledge allegiance. We talked about pledging allegiance mm-hmm. to, to two uh, entities. Two, yeah. One of them has to come first, right? And that's where I think in our context, that's the difficult thing, is is we live in a very politicized time, Um we we've been reading Charles Taylor's A Secular Age, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know that's one of the aspects of it is the political. There, you know there is no pre political. Well, Everything right? is political, yeah. And so, so it, it, to put it in that terms, I think the kingdom of God requires our our first utmost allegiance is is what we would we would say. So maybe that's more than I should say. <laughs> Well, no, that's a good. So what? Yeah, you know, yeah. and I I think that it's good to to see how that term has been used right. through the Old Testament, because I think, again, this is a thing that's veiled sometime in language. Right. You know, well, I know it is veiled in language, because um, you don't understand Hebrew, but to see how it advances, and then to see the the that promise to David, right. and then that, what, what that Christ, what the word term Christ means, that Mashiach means right. in the context with Jesus, and yeah. that it's, it is a, a return to the true line, the, the, yeah. the, to the, uh, with that the line of David, the one that's it, going to sit on the throne forever. You know what I say? Anytime we we just transliterate where we get in trouble, it just kind of it kind of doesn't have meaning to it. It's just kind of there. It's, it's a, just a word we say. Yeah, and and that's what I want to make sure. That's why I think it's so important to understand the context. Is, is if this is our central statement of faith, we probably should know what it means. Well, yeah, and I think that's the thing. It's like it's not inconceivable. It's not like we had a m- m- no definite. We didn't have a misdefinition. We just probably some of us didn't have a definition. This, yeah, it's just like you said. We often see it as a part of Jesus' name. It's just, a, it's just identifier mm-hmm. of his. And person. we know it's, a, and I would say most people know it's a title, but we sure. hadn't dived into to to where does that title, how's it tying back, and why is this such okay. a significant title? So, All right. okay, yeah, I think it's great. Very good. All right. Well, Brian, thanks so much for helping us dive into another word. Not a and problem. The language I hope that helped. Yep. Oh, that'll be great. It'll be great. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be back. It's great. Everything's great. We'll be back uh, next Tuesday. All right. See you then. See you. Bye.